my story is a little different. It's not exactly how every other story or most stories that I've heard have started. I, being the overachiever that I am, tried to be sober on my own for about 18 months. And I did it, like I wasn't drinking, I wasn't, you know, doing much else. I kind of continued my life the way it was, no matter what the trajectory was, and I just didn't have a drink. So I went about 18 months doing that on my own. And what's interesting about it is when I got here, I kind of gave myself like a goal. <clears throat> I did not come on my own free will. Uh, I was kind of tricked into being here. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was gonna be temporary. Um, I thought sobriety was gonna be temporary as well. The reason I say that is because I've never committed to one thing in my entire life and, and seen it through except for drinking. And that was okay with me. Um, I think if somebody were to come up and tell me you know, it's okay if you can't do this, we, we've got you. I would absolutely do it because I wanted to show them that, you know, I could and, and more so I wanted to show myself. But what I'm here to talk about today is um, how I got here and why I decided to come in. So growing up, I didn't know that we didn't have money. My parents did a really good job of guarding that for me. I could have told you that I grew up hood rich. We had cars and shoes and I mean, you name it, whatever the new thing was, we had it. What I didn't have was a house and I didn't have um, insurance and I didn't have all of these things in life that, you know, are probably important at some point. And it was okay, I, I survived, you know, and it gave me a different way to look at life. I thought that I could find a loophole throughout whatever situation I was in. And that sometimes worked to my advantage, but mostly just let me manipulate any situation I could. So from an early, early age, I this was pretty much my life. I would sleep, eat, and basketball. That was all I ever did. And when that ended for me, that's kind of what took the turn to the path that, I, that led me here. Um, I was always... Uh, I was always at my grandparents' house on the weekends. I didn't have a lot of friends. We moved around a lot. I probably went to four or five elementary schools in three or four different cities. Uh, I remember there's this time between the age of like zero and five <laughs> that was in San Antonio where I'm from and everything seemed okay. I remember like we would move every couple of months um, not because we were in trouble or anything, but that was just kind of it was like we followed my dad's job wherever he had one. My parents were super young. My mom was 18 and my dad was, I think, 19 when they got married. It was a month after she graduated high school. And then they had me a year later and decided to have no more kids. <laughs> so a little bit about my family, um, you know, on, I was really close to my, my dad's parents. They were younger. Uh, my grandma had had married my grandpa. They were like, they lived on the ice. I, I don't know if any, there's any Mexicans in the room, 
but you never know the full story. Like, everybody has their version of everything, so you're kind of like, wait, but Thea said this, and they're like, she wasn't there. So, I wasn't there, but from what I was told, they lived on the same street. Like, it was a South Side of San Antonio, everybody knew everybody. It's like its own universe, if you've ever been there. And she was 15 when she got married. Her mom had to sign, I guess back in the day, I don't know if this is still a thing because I don't know a lot about marriage, but uh, her, her mom had to sign the permission slip or whatever <laughs> for her to get married because she was underage. And, you know, that might seem like maybe a normal thing to do back then, but it's interesting what drives our decisions and kind of makes our lives. But from what I know, um, she lost her dad when she was three months old. I don't remember how, again, I don't know the full story, but all I know is that they were in a car, they got stuck on a railroad track, and a train hit them. My grandmother was three months old. My great-grandmother was in the hospital for a year to recover after, and my grandma's dad died. He was in the active military. I don't know a lot about him. I think I've seen one picture of him before. And that kind of pushed my grandma to have the life that she had. Uh, when my great-grandmother was in the hospital, she met her next husband, and he was a mariachi and an alcoholic. So, check, check. And so that left my grandmother being the oldest of six, and all of her siblings were half-siblings. So, I don't know, maybe she got treated different because of the situation. I know that there was money involved. I know that there was just a lot of things that which tend to be the tone in my family. A lot of unspoken things happen. And to this day, I don't know, you know what traumatizing things led to her leaving at that age and thinking that was her only choice. But she was smart. I remember she was telling me, uh, she always tells me stories like chicken was like five cents and <laughs> their rent was $18. Wow. Um, and everybody kind of lived like either on the same street or like the block over or whatever. So like everybody was really close and didn't have a car, didn't have anything. Until this day, I mean, she's what, 73, 74. And uh, I don't think she, she left Texas once to go to California to, California to get my grandfather to drag his ass back to Texas because he had gone to work t on a farm and he just like drank away all the money. Um, so, you know, there's, there's these like underlying um, behaviors that I start to see in my own life when I start to think about my family. My grandfather, on the other hand, party, like life of the party. Uh, he was young too, but he's just like a joker. I remember like a Friday night was him coming in from work and all of the family or the house, I don't even know who they were, just people <laughs> filling up the house, um, laughing. Everybody's drunk and it's just like hot in the house and you know, like there's probably, I don't even know what, what I'm doing there, but I was the only kid, so it was easy for me to just kind of blend in. And he was like my best friend. Like, I thought he was the funniest guy ever. Um, he told all his jokes in Spanish and I didn't know one word what he was saying. <laughs> so I would just pretend laugh with him and stuff. But, you know, it's interesting because 
uh, it took a while before they had any other grandchildren because my dad only has one sister. So I was the only one for a really long time on that side of the family. And again, we went every weekend. Like, we didn't take family vacations and we didn't do all these things. We just went to my momo's house. Oh, momo's like grandma's in, in my family. And so a lot of my memories are from there, which is nice because, again, like I told you, we were moving around a lot. So, like, even after five years old when we moved to the valley, uh, to follow my dad's job, he was like, man, I, I was trying to do the math again, and I was just breaking my head because I was trying to think how old they were when all this was happening. So I want to say it was like 1990, and my dad was probably like, I don't know, 25 or something like that. And we're making all these like big boss moves, and you know, he started off as a phlebotomist and then was a VP of his first lab within 10 years with no you know, degree or anything like that. My grandfather, I think only went to seventh grade and he was a truck driver for 40 years. So he's seen every place in the United States that you can imagine. Um, but that meant that he was gone for six days of the week. You know, if he came in on a Friday, we were lucky. He would come in usually on a Saturday morning, take me to McDonald's, and then uh, leave Sunday night. And he missed every birthday, every uh, graduation, every, I don't even know if he was there when I was born. I don't even know if he was there when his own kids were born. But that was just the kind of life, so my grandma was holding it down. So you flip to my parents, my mom's side, and she's the baby of eight kids. I'm an only child, so I don't even know what it is to like share air. You know what I mean? Like, I get to have what I want when I want. I need space. Close my door. Like whatever brat thing I'm, I'm in. Like I don't have anybody chasing me. You know, for these things that I have, what little or a lot didn't matter. But my mom, you know, total different mentality. And man, her. Uh, I remember when I was little, I was I was scared of old people. Um, and my dad worked in a, he worked in like the nursing home kind of field in healthcare. And so like, he was always taking me to fucking nursing homes. And people would always just want to touch me. And I would just be like, oh, like, please, you know, like personal space. And so when I would go to my mom's parents' house, they, you know, they were already older. And like, I just didn't connect with them very much. But, um, you know, they tried and stuff like that. But again, there's just, just this feeling of, I always felt like we, when we were about to walk into a situation, I could always sense that something wasn't right. Like, like something had happened, something had transpired that created this tension within my family. And it was on both sides, which was interesting as a kid um, to feel that and not really have an explanation of what that is or someone else say like, yeah, I feel it too. So I was always just in tune with these really like heavy, heavy feelings and um, so yeah, when we would go visit my grandparents, uh, I think like all of my aunts and uncles were already married and out of the house by the time my mom was in high school. So it was really like she was the only one. And my grandpa wasn't around, cause guess what, alcoholic. And then my grandmother like worked night shifts or something at some hospital. I don't know, I didn't know a lot about them, um, even though we would see them every once in a while. And we lived in the same city, you know, it wasn't like we couldn't see them. But, um, I never stayed with anyone. I was always with my parents, always, 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 no matter what they were doing, uh, which kind of leads to later when I talk about me not following rules. Um, but anyway, so back to my grandma, I mean, my mother, 
she was the baby of eight, total different mentality, and every time we would go see my grandparents, she would kind of pull me to the side and she'd do that mom thing. And she'd just be like, when I say it's time to go, we're gonna go. And I'd just be like, okay. And you know, not understanding and like, yeah, I wasn't allowed to be with either of them alone. So who knows, like there's a, there's a lot of things that happen that I don't ever really, really know about. Um, so that's kind of what I spent my time doing. Even when we moved far, far away, we would still drive all the way to San Antonio, no matter how long it takes even just to stay a day and then drive back. So making friends was hard. I was very shy, like so shy, but very direct. So if you, if I had a thought and you prompted me, I would tell you what I thought. And I don't think that's changed very much. <laughs> but I would read all the time. Uh, I don't remember what I would read, um, but I just remember like, I was just kind of in my own world. Um, school was okay, but Again, with no rules, being an only child, I didn't really have chores. I think my mom tried, but I was just like, nah. And so, you know, like, it would get to the point, like, if I didn't want to wake up for school, um, God, she would do this thing where she would just be like, oh, right, so my, my name is Nastasia. And she would be like, Nastasia. Nastasia, and I'd be like, stop, like yelling from my room because she's trying to get me up. And then like, it would just, so I hated hearing my name because it was always like, I gotta get up and do something I don't want to do. Um, and so, you know, the, with no rules, no chores, no friends, uh, I would write stories. And I got a couple of my stories published. Again, I lived in really small towns. Uh, and one was like about a friendly ghost, but like it was so alone. Um, and it like tried to make friends with a jack-o'-lantern and it tried to make friends with like all these things and they just like, they weren't the same so they couldn't find any friends. I don't remember how that story ended. Somebody like clipped it. I don't want to see it. It's probably bad. Um, but yeah, so school, you know, I guess if I could paint a picture, it was like, I would leave school and then I'd go to a different city. So I would have to enroll in a different school and their curriculum would be different. It would be a different time of the year. It would just be, it would be hard. So I was either learning something I hadn't been taught yet or most of the time sitting in the corner because uh, I had already gone through all of that and they, there wasn't really anything challenging for me to do. So they got me into GT, which was like gifted and talented and um, being like the only resource that I had, I think my, I wanna say that I learned how to like write and read on Hooked on Phonics. I don't know if any of you guys know Was it Bill Cosby that did that? I don't know, can I say that? Um, it was the more legit one, no. Um, and then my dad, like he was, he has this weird, before it was a thing, there's these like subscriptions where you could get like encyclopedias um, on payments, and then you could get like the um, I forget not the National Geographic, but there he liked like ocean life, so sharks and uh, whales and all that. And we were always watching that stuff. And so when one thing that was really cool is when we would move somewhere else, my mom would like <coughs> immediately like the next day, like even before enrolling me in school, we would go get a library card, and we and I mean even back then you could uh, rent DVDs and all that stuff through them and I still do that today except I have a problem because I never turn in my books um, so that was like kind of home for me you know just getting away getting into these like 
really cool things that weren't really around me. And um, man, I was a, what is it, a water baby. Like I spent so much time in the water and I still do that. It's like my calming thing. Mitch showed me something earlier about, uh, who was it, Bruce Lee, Be Like the Water? That was pretty cool. Um, I didn't know about that back then, but I'm gonna have to take a look. And so, you know, it was just the place where as choppy or scary as it might be to some, it was always a place that I could kind of just like float on my back and kind of forget everything. And at that point, I don't really think too many things had happened, but they were coming. And I don't know, maybe I predicted it, maybe I'm an oracle, I can't tell you. But um, I remember very early on having conversations with my dad about not being able to tell my mom that I don't need her. And, you know, just these little, these little things that pop in my head because it was pretty much like if somebody had told me that my mom somehow gave birth to me but she wasn't actually my mom, I would have totally believed that. Except for the fact that we look like exactly alike. <laughs> um, and she just wasn't, she was always there but she wasn't fair. You know what I mean? Like. Sometimes I'd get up and she would be in bed or I had to go to school on the days that I actually went and we would be driving to school and something would happen and we'd have to turn around. Cause again, like just, she emotionally could not do things sometimes and she was very dependent on my dad, which was a problem for her because my dad was my dad and everything he wanted to do, I wanted to do. And so I was just like, at the hip I was just like you can dribble basketball I look what I can do and like I was like playing with grown men before I was in middle school because like I had already gotten tired of people my age you know I was just like you can't even dribble and um <laughs> you know so it was just like she would get very jealous uh, she would get very jealous of our relationship and um she would just kind of be absent <clears throat> And I think I remember that and being like, all right, well, it's just me and my dad, you know? Like, I don't, I don't really need a mom. I have my dad. And so he was always working. I mean, I talked to him earlier today, and he was, like, on his way to Houston to go do some, like, work thing. And I was just like, he just never stopped. But the cool thing about it was he was always there for me. He was always there for my games. He was always my coach, like he was always, he was always there, always there. I never saw him cry, I never saw him complain, I never saw him talk shit about anybody else. Like he would tell me stuff sometimes, but it wasn't like, you know, bad. It would just be to kind of correct me. And so I followed in his footsteps and I was just like, I'm gonna be just like you, but better. Um, Cause I'm a woman and I'm just gonna do it. Uh, no, I really thought I was a dude for a long time. Thank you so much. Uh, but yeah, so like growing up in, in San Antonio or South Texas, it was like, man, I have some pictures. I had hair down to like almost my knees and it was just like curly and like, I was like the girliest thing you could like look at, but I had like basketball shorts on and like I would wear my dad's suits, you know, like, and everybody was cool with it until, um, you know, I started getting these messages that um, like, my grandparents would, like, we'd be walking and they would stop me and they would say, like, they'd point at someone and they'd be like, don't be like that. And I would, I would just be like, okay, and, and I didn't know what that was, you know, and little things. And till this day, I wonder, 
like did they see something in me that like I didn't know but I didn't I didn't think I was gay I just thought I was a boy like a boy with a like a girl I don't know like those names didn't really make sense to me because I could do everything the boys could do I was an only child so I didn't have anybody else to compare it with I had a shit ton of cousins because my I think I have like 46 cousins on my mom's side and so I was just like you know it was just this weird place to be but again it because I early on just got this idea of like this is my secret like I'm a boy everybody knows it or I'm gay everybody knows it I didn't know what those things meant I just knew like I would dream that I was a boy like as a boy or whatever so like those things to me were natural but everything on the outside world was telling me like don't say this out loud because somebody's gonna question whatever you're doing and they're gonna make you stop and so my resistance to being truthful and transparent and honest like that is one of the first things my gut reaction and it's interesting because growing up like uh maybe not so young but as I got a little bit older like especially in sports and super competitive I would talk so much shit I've never been in a fight but I have ran my mouth like I knew how to kick some ass and um don't fight me because <laughs> I'll probably cry um but you know like I just I always I always put this front out you know like I was either not saying anything or I was like talking about your mama like it just didn't um, and so you know I I attribute that to you know the family life that we had like those are just my parents they're just two kids like trying to do the best that they could but my grandpa was like you know I don't know like he has like knife marks from bars and um, they shot at my grandma one time when she was in the car and there's you know the bullets miss and on the south side like bullets I mean shootings are something that you come accustomed to you know what I mean like it's not it is like oh let's protect you whatever but it's just like whose stupid son or cousins like shooting tonight or whatever you know like it wasn't out of the question to hear that kind of stuff and so for my dad to be how successful he was never doing drugs not having a problem with drinking all that stuff like it kind of set this tone for my life but the weird thing is is that my alcoholism it like it skipped a generation mm -hmm. you know I had alcoholism on both sides for my grandparents I have no idea about their parents or anything like that but they all had really tough lives my grandfather's Father, brother, and nephew all died by suicide. Um, that was my dad's best friend. Uh, did it, like, right before the wedding. He was a best man. Like, shit we don't talk about ever. Um, and all my mom's side, it was, like, psychiatric stuff, like psychosis and depression and all of those things, which, again, if you remember me saying before, like, there's these stories that exist but have not been told. And I don't know if that's just an old school thing where, you know, things happen and you just kind of accept it as it is. But as I'm growing up in this, like kind of have one foot in one world and a foot in another, it's like my roots were in this really hectic, violent part of society. But my future was, you know, like everybody else's. And I had this opportunity that nobody in my family had ever had. So it was interesting because the way that I found that I was gonna get out of my situation was 
I was gonna be rich. I was gonna buy my grandparents a house. I was gonna buy my mom a beach house. I was gonna buy my dad all these cars. I was gonna have like my own um, basketball court. Oh, and I was gonna be in the NBA, but not like the WNBA, like the NBA. <laughs> like I had all these dreams and that just like set something off in me. And so I think I was maybe, I mean, I, I always say this thing and <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not, but I always say I could dribble before I could walk. Because um, that's how much, like, I would sleep with my basketball and everything. And in my mind, it was like, I was making A's and stuff, but again, I wasn't being challenged. Um, I had been offered to skip a few grades, and for whatever reason, my dad was like, no, um, you can't do that, or whatever. And he was very strict and very, not controlling in the sense that we use it, but controlling in the way that, like, I'm going to keep you close to me, and you're going to do as I say, and we're going to get to this place, you know, um, the only thing about that is that I had my own plans and I wanted my own life. And the minute that I started to see that that may not happen, that his dream and my dream were different was when that crack between us like started to, to widen. And so fast forward to high school, um, my parents, there was some stuff with my parents, uh, they got divorced, or I'm sorry, they got separated when I was like 10 and like all this stuff happened. My mom's dad died, like these really like real life things started to happen and I was 10 years old and I didn't really know how to cope with that stuff, but I was okay, like I've always had night terrors. I don't know if that's the clinical term, I, I haven't had it diagnosed, but I've had nightmares ever since I was a kid. Like I still have them now. Um, and I just wake up and I like have these horrible events that happen. And it's usually with people in my family or something like that. And again, never told anybody. Um, Cause when I would tell people, they would just give me that look of like, holy shit, you know? Like I always felt like if I ever opened my mouth, it was gonna be too much for the other person on the other side to handle. So I just learned really quickly how to just not say anything and just kind of go on with what I was doing. So when I got to high school, I already wasn't cool with my mom. She had left. She had missed like a lot of things that had happened, um, puberty, like all of that kind of stuff for me, um, which was really hard because I didn't know anything. Like I remember one time she tried to talk to me about sex and I was like, I don't know, I don't know. Like I've already heard about it. And I was like in third grade or something. Um, so like I missed the sex day in school. Like I missed so many <laughs> like milestones that other people just you know take for granted. And so I, I really was floating out in the world untethered. Um, so come high school, I'm gearing up. Uh, some things had happened. We moved in with my grandma after my grandparents died, um, and then, or my grandfather died, and we were in a different district. So I was being recruited to go, I was in the north side of San Antonio, and I was being recruited to play for a different high school. So my parents figured out how to like take care of my grandmother in her own house, and then we got an apartment in the district that I was being recruited in. And so, I went up there and like I said, my goal was to play professional or at least get a college scholarship. I knew I could do it academically, but I really wanted like something that was gonna launch me. And I sit here talking about it. I don't know how realistic that was, you guys. Like I was good, but I was lazy as hell. Like I would not practice. Like I would practice on my own time. I was always late to practice. I always had some excuse. Um, I remember like I had a few hard ass coaches and they would be like, 
if you don't show up to practice, uh, you can't play in the game or you can't start or whatever. And I knew that was a lie because I was like, y'all can't win without me. <laughs> and it was always that kind of thing, you know, like I was always being scolded about my behaviors, but I was just like, like whatever. And so uh, I would show up to practice and all my teammates would hate me because if I was late, we had to run. But then there would be a caveat and I'd be like, well, if you make 10 free throws in a row, we don't have to run. So I would make 20, like, you know, like I would always find a way. And so when my sophomore year came around, I was gonna be, I wasn't on varsity yet. I'm a year younger than all of my other uh, classmates. And we were playing this new school. Um, they're like some rich, I don't know, Mercedes driving Range Rover like kids. And um, I stole the ball from the, my opponent. We were two minutes into the game and I hear it pop in my leg. And I went down immediately and it was like, I just couldn't move my leg at all. And so I was like really impatient and I was in like the worst pain I'd ever had. Um, I had like broken things and stuff before that, but it was always like a really quick recovery and I was like back or whatever. I had, I'd put on a brace or go, whatever. Um, but when I heard that pop, they carried me into um, the trainer's room or whatever and they started to examine me. And then right away, someone was like, she tore her ACL. And I was just like, well, whatever, hurry up. I have to get back to the game. And it didn't occur to me like that that would require surgery, that that would mean that I would never play basketball again, that that would mean that within six months I had gone from straight A's to playing sports my entire life to being this quiet, shy girl um, to doing drugs. Um, waking up in parking lots and houses and you name it, not knowing how I got there, not having all my clothes on, not knowing who was there, what had happened, um, cutting myself. I, I mean, I, it's interesting to think about that time frame because I could kind of see like how things were stressful. Um, I wrecked my cars. Um, I remember I had this car and the first day I got it, I hadn't even had my license yet. And my dad was like, um, you race this car and I'm gonna take away your keys. And that night I went to military drive to go see everybody race their cars where his cousin had died doing the same thing that I was doing right behind his back. And it was like, you know, all these warning signs, like people were telling me, just went over my head. I was like so cocky and I was just like, yeah, say it, say it. Like that might've happened to them, but it's not gonna happen to me. And so what ended up happening is I got expelled from school. Um, it was interesting because I think the, I was gonna call him the president, the uh, principal's daughter played basketball with me all those years. And so he was trying to give us a break, but I had missed like three months of school or something. And the reason that I got to do that is because my dad had lost his job and my parents had just gotten back together and we had to move to the south side to live with my grandmother, but I was still getting to school every day um, on the north side, so it was like a 35 minute drive every morning. And I didn't tell anybody. And as soon as my dad would drop me off with my car, um, I, would, I would go and I, like, I was never into like 
all the other stuff, I just, like, would go with older people and I'd go to their houses, which is weird to think about because, like, they had parents and stuff. I don't know what happened with that. But I just, like, everything shifted, you know? Like, I used to be a jock and then, like, I just started to seek out these, like, these really intense um, relationships. And I had a girlfriend, um, but I wasn't gay. My girlfriend was. <laughs> so I decided to break up with her and date a bunch of dudes just to, like, get by or whatever. And, like, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, uh, when I got expelled, my dad was like, all right, you don't want to be in school? You're going to get a job. And I think I was... I don't even think I was 16 when I was 15. But on the south side, it's like you already have 401k by that time. Um, and so I was just like a job. And I was like, what makes you think I don't want to be in school? And he was like, because you never go. And I was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. And so <laughs> my grandma worked at this finance, sto- uh, finance place across the street from this burger place. Um, it was like the place my parents had their first date or something it was old and it was like had no air condition had no heater um you had to chop all the vegetables by hand I had never done a chore I didn't know how to mop a floor and the worst part is none of those people could say my name so everybody started calling me Nat or Nata um that just shows you where I was going and so I finished my high school in six months because Uh, I had to go to this, like, middle school. It wasn't even a middle school. It was, like, the second floor of a middle school that had, like, uh, people that had been in jail, um, people that were too old. Like, it was their last chance to go to high school. Um, Pregnant girls. And, like, everybody kept asking me, like, oh, where are your kids? Like, how old are they? I was like, (laughs) I just didn't get it. You know, I had been so... Taken, like, I wasn't a part of that world, even though, like, my entire family was living in that, that part of town. And, like, it was really just, like, a waste of time. But I had this busted knee, and I couldn't even walk. And I had to go to these really intense um, physical therapy. But I stopped going because it hurt too much. And we didn't have insurance, so I had to get it when we were on Medicare. And, like, that only lasted so long because I was too old. So I went, like two years without getting surgery and walking on that leg and so if you ever see me limping around it's because you know that that did some damage and so um once I'm out of high school I was just like man this is so easy like I'm just gonna have to go to this shitty ass school and then I like get to leave because I think they only did it to like 11 or something you know I was just like this is perfect um but I wanted to go to college because I still needed to fulfill my dream So what ended up happening is I moved out. I went to college. I enrolled myself at 17. I sold my car to pay my first uh, tuition, which wasn't a lot back then. But it took me eight years to finish, y'all. Like, uh, my best friend died, and she got hit by a car. And uh, I was working, like, a 12, 13-hour shift at work. And I was all greasy, and I came home, and I'm, like, eating, and it's, like, 11 o'clock at night. And I get this phone call, and it's her sister, and, like, you know, she kind of tells me, like, the whole thing or whatever. And I was just like, okay, well, where is she? And she was just like, 
she's not here. And I was just like, well, what, is, what does that mean? So apparently, yeah, a drunk driver hit her. She was um, training for her last race in college that she had gotten a scholarship for. Um, and she had too many injuries, so that was going to be her last race. And it was over in Seguin, so I'm not familiar with the highways, but there wasn't a lot of room. Someone went off a shoulder and hit her. She flew 50 feet, hit her head, and they um, flew her to, um, you know, the hospital or whatever. So that was that. And um, I was already doing drugs and everything. I kind of gotten out of that whole phase of, like, self-destruction, I say, but that really took a toll because she was perfect. Like, she never did drugs. She, like, actually studied. Um, I remember I used to get mad at her because I would just be like, why are we reading this? Like, we can just guess when the test comes. Um, like, it's worked so far, you know? Um, and she really had to try at learning, and she was amazing. And, um, you know, like, it was really hard when I, when I w came out or whatever because... First of all, my family didn't accept me, and then second of all, um, I didn't tell all my friends, again, secrets. So what ended up happening is I left, I was still with my girlfriend, we were together for seven years or so, but I started, after we broke up, because um, I was miserable, obviously, uh, I decided to try the... Um, the club life, if that's what you call it. <laughs> so I was like going to all the gay clubs all the time. And what it, the path that that took me on was um, my friends were, um, one was in a murder trial for a drug deal. Um, one uh, would take horse tranquilizers. And so I would have to like call poison control um, whenever that would happen if I wasn't around. Um, all these friends, by the way, I had been friends with since I was like nine. Um, a lot of them were cheating, so I would like ha see them like doing the things that they were doing. Um, some had HIV, like that was just kind of the life that I was in. And, and I would go to the bar and I would immediately like 12 shots. And I was talking to somebody about this the other day. It was like flaming Dr. Peppers. Do you guys know what those are? Oh my God. Like, and I was broke as hell. Like I was still working two jobs. I was in college or whatever, but that kind of shows you like why it took me eight years. Um, and so like, you know, like I would get in these phases where I would just be like, I'm gonna do this. I'm such a badass and all this stuff. And then I'd be like, I don't want to be here. It's just whatever. And like, it, I just went nowhere for so long. So, I mean, imagine in this time, I'm not thinking about anybody but me. And I'm over here boohooing about like why my parents are calling me or showing up at my door asking me where the hell I've been for a number of weeks or, you know, and I would always, like I always have this reaction of just like, why are you tripping? Like, I'm here, like you found me, like what do you want? And that's really sad to me because for as close as we were, I don't, I can't even imagine what that does to them because clearly things were not going okay in their life, uh, in their marriage. And um, I think had I been more aware at the time, I would have seen it, but I thought they were good. I thought they were gonna grow old together. I thought they could take care of each other and I could finally get away. And that's not what happened. So, I don't know. The decision for me to come to Austin kind of was a couple of things. It was just like, I've been here for eight years, by the way, and right before then, um, my parents decided to get a divorce, and 
that isn't the easiest thing to go through as an adult, especially when you're as immature as me. So, you know, I was very upset and I was just like, well, now I have to worry. And now I like, and then I don't know if you guys have ever, I mean, maybe some of us did the same thing, but like when older people get divorced and they haven't like had their like years, they do some weird shit. And so um, my dad like bought a motor, he bought three motorcycles. Um, he started getting like tattoo like it, it was just weird and um my mom like was like dating and like older men and like going out and like it was like the tables had turned I was now chasing after them to try to see like where the fuck are you like what are you doing like whatever and the sad part about it is I was still drinking so I would drag my dad out to like the strip clubs or the I mean which was like my Monday night hangout and um or like he lived in Houston at the time so I'd drive out there and like I would just spend his money like with him but I would like pay girls to come over and like dance with them or whatever because he's like super conservative and um he would be all shy and be like no it's okay or whatever and I'd just be like loosen up or whatever and um like $30 shots and shit um but then on the other side of it my mom was just you know out having her own life and like still jealous about my parents and all I mean about the relationship I have with my dad and like her and I would get into altercations because we would be super fucked up together and like everything would just come out just imagine you at like your worst and your drunkest your most high or whatever and then like fighting in the mirror because that's what it was like that's why I hated myself so much is because I was exactly like my mom and I had not got into a place where I knew how to change that perspective um so I came to Austin because I was just too much shit for me to handle. And you would have thought I moved to Alaska because nobody visited me. Nobody asked about me. Nobody called me. Like, I finally had the space that I had been looking for my whole life. And in that time, I... Um, it was more of the same, but I could be myself. I chopped off all my fucking hair. I like shaved half of my head. And again, I had like hair to hair. So everybody was like, oh, she went full Rihanna. Um, like all of these things. And it was just like, you know, I didn't like the attention, but I definitely like the feeling of like, yeah, now I'm really gonna do what I want. I was super old though, y'all. Like it wasn't like I was cute or anything being, you know, educated or, you know, I had blown my education. Um, because I was never around. I never gave to anything. Um, every relationship I ever had ended because, again, there was always that point where something would come in and I didn't like it or it just wasn't working, like, and I would dip out. Like, I wouldn't even say anything or people would leave me but my drinking and my drug habit like it didn't really seem like a problem honestly um I mean I had a job my parents were divorced so they were doing their own thing um and then I got with this gorgeous gorgeous woman and I used to call her my wife which is kind of yeah not true um and she kind of set the tone about you know, like, we would party, but she wouldn't party. And she had put herself through school. She had done all these things. She basically was the person that I was always trying to be, but I never gave myself the time to get there. And so a lot of resentment came up from that because our conversations 
started off as like, I support you, I love you, I do this, I do that. And then the more that I would drink, also at work I was getting promotion. So like not only was I getting more money, but more happy hours, more flexibility to start drinking at three instead of five or whatever. The drinks were stronger, they were going longer. So I would call her and I would be like, hey babe like I'm gonna I'm gonna go this happy hour like I'll see you in in a couple of hours like I'll be home by seven or before dinner or dinner or whatever and she's like okay and it would be like three four in the morning um and that was almost every day and I would bring like random ass people to the house and I somehow I mean I don't know if y'all have ever heard of U-Haul but we definitely did that like we hung out one night and then I had a U-Haul the next day to move into her place um, and that's kind of what my life had been like this whole time it was just like I was seeing somebody or something that I wanted friends or whatever and then I would like latch on and I would do that and I would do that well the whole time I was never doing anything for myself um, so how I got into Bolden was one of those friends that I used to hang out with and was at work uh, hit me up one time and was just like, hey, uh, I know we haven't talked in a long time, but I'm about to move out of state. Would you be willing to meet me? I have an amends to make. And I was just like, girl, like, yes. You know, like, I couldn't even remember what she did. We used to drink together during work and, like, do all this stuff, whatever. So we met at Zilker. And I remember she was like eight feet tall and she was wearing like all black and she was just like glowing. And it was like, love it, second sight. And um, so I don't really understand what 13 stepping is, but that's how I got to Bolden. Um, <laughs> she asked me if I wanted to see her come get her trip. I can't remember if it was her year or her 18 month, but we found out that we had both gone sober at the same time, about two weeks apart to the day. And she had done it through Bolden and I had done it through myself and so um that was how I got my sponsor because that relationship didn't work out surprise surprise and they ended up moving away I decided to stay in Austin and it was the first time in my life um shortly before then I had been in a therapy session and which was an ultimatum from my from my wife um <laughs> to do because the drinking had gone that bad that like I was waking up to the point where I was looking into a face that had so much pain about the things I had done and said the night before and I had no clue where that was coming from and because it was happening so much she said I needed to go get help well I didn't know what that meant because I had never gotten help in my life so I had started therapy but what happened in therapy is that I was saying some shit that apparently is like bad and so they were saying that um, I was a danger to myself and I was in a really deep depression um, the older I got the more I drank I before I came into these rooms I was um, shaking I had this really weird eye twitch have you ever taken a try to take a photo after you drink all night long and like your mouth does this weird thing like it it kind of like does this Elvis thing? I had that for so long. And like, I remember one of my friends pointing it out and I was like, God, I just, it's hot in here. Like, I don't, I don't know, it's, I don't feel good. And they're just like, it's the alcohol. And I was like, no, it's not. And I like grab a drink, you know? Like, it just didn't make any sense. So when I met my, I had a couple of sponsors, but when I met my sponsor now, 
uh, I was here at Bolden, it was Thanksgiving, and like, I was so wrapped up in this girl, y'all. And like, everything like about their life was my life, and I was trying to make it work, and I was willing to do some really weird things to do that, things that didn't align with what I thought should be in a relationship. And this person like, was the kindest person I had ever met. And they were such a hard ass. And like they constantly tell me to get my head out of my ass. Um, and that was just like the nicest thing anybody had ever said to me. Because the reason they would say that is because I would come in tears. And I wouldn't know why. And again, back to that place where I was always too much for people to handle. I felt like this was the first person or time that I could come to a place, even in these rooms. I don't know how many of y'all were here when I started, but I was just like, uh, like crying all the time for no reason. And I don't even know if I made any sense, but I was telling her the other day, I was like, you heard me say so much shit and you just constantly like kept showing up. And I was telling her how like I prayed to be humble and I pray to be these things that I see people being because I never thought I would ever be that kind of person. And it's because of this program, working the steps, me talking about like how much I didn't appreciate God. They had taken away my family members and they had taken away my best friend and things had gotten so bad. I was a Jehovah's Witness when I grew up. So like I had that mentality and just everything I could point to was abandonment except for this person. And it was really when I started working the steps that I think on I thought inventory was going to be like, all right, I get to say why I'm mad at everybody, and you get to tell me why I'm right. Um, and it took me months to do it, uh, very, very long time, because she kept telling me, like, all right, go back, go work on this. And I'd be like, what? You know, like, and I'd be like, no, I'm not going to work on that or whatever. Like, or, like, I'd be mad when she wouldn't call me because I wanted her to, but I wouldn't call her. Um, so it was always when I was like down on my knees that I would come here and that's been the last I don't know year and a half I would say and over the last year I think the biggest part of my life that has really allowed me to grow is my sponsees you know what I mean like finally getting to that point where I can look someone in the face and not run, want to run the other way because I know exactly how that feels. And I know exactly why you don't want to make that amends. And I know exactly why, you know, Monday night at this time is like a pain in the ass, but like you got to do it, you know? And, and it was the first time that I got to see um, sitting in a room where I have my sponsee and then my sponsor, like that's just a connection that I think I was always looking for. Um, I did that right after I made my amends to my family. So now I have a family, y'all. Like, it's so hard. <laughs> um, you know, but it, there's just, there's just one message that I want to leave you with. And it's like, you may, your story may not look like mine. You may not look like me. You may not understand a word I'm saying. But if you come at this with love, if you lead with that, if you keep it simple, you know, um, I always thought that, like, my time was coming, my time was coming, but I'm pretty sure that it was always my time. I was just too fucked up to look at it that way. Um, so now, you know, it's not easy, but um, 
I get to show up. I get to show up for myself and I get to show up for other people. And I get to allow people to show up for me, which is the most challenging thing. Like, please don't come and give me a compliment because I will not accept it. Um, but I heard um, in this practice, because I don't know about y'all, but I hear this message everywhere. It's not just in this room. It's like all throughout wherever I go, especially when I need to hear it. But someone said the other day, allow, release, and let go. And the way that I translate that is serenity, courage, and wisdom. So that's my story, y'all. Yeah.